Hey guys, Spro here. We have a lot of new faces on our Facebook group, and I just want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Second Chance Cinema. When MC and I put together this show back in 2018, we did it humbly, and we have slowly learned what we were doing for the past two years. Because of this, we took down some of our old episodes just to remix them, recut them, and re-release them when times get tough here and we can't figure out when to get together and record a new episode. So there will never be a hole in our schedule for the four foreseeable future and if you subscribe now you will get new content new ish content new ish and new content every other friday so be sure to subscribe like i said we did this without ego and we're only doing it for our audience and we hope to hear from you guys soon if you haven't yet please find us on social media we have a facebook group we have an instagram at 2nd chance cinema which is awesome. I laugh out loud at the content that they put up. A Twitter at MCN Spro, and there's an email 2ND Chance Cinema. We are asking people to record our intros for us so you don't have to hear my voice all the time. We really want to debate your favorite films, so please reach out, tell us what films we haven't covered yet that you would absolutely want us to talk about. This is all about you, dear listener, if you haven't figured that out, because we appreciate you. As always, the host's MC and I, we're going to swear, and we're going to spoil the crap out of a couple movies today. So if you have not watched the Karate Kid series from the 1980s, perhaps you should get on that before listening to this episode. But it's not necessary. We're going to appreciate this all the same, and I think in the end, you will appreciate them as well, because that's Second Chance Cinema. Enjoy the show. Johnny Lawrence, I, I, I knew it was you. Holy, how the hell are you? Hey, man. Oh, my God, look at you. You still got those golden locks, eh? God, this is crazy. How, how you been? Great, man, thanks. I've been great. That's great. It's, hey, hey, Anoush, come here. Louie, get over here. I want no, you to meet somebody. I gotta go. No, 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 this is Johnny Lawrence. He and I go way back, right, buddy? This guy was the toughest dude in my high school. When I first moved here from Jersey, he and I, we got into it a little bit. This guy really had it in for me. Yeah, well, you did move in on my girl. Well, she actually wasn't really a girl anymore, was she? I mean, ah, all right, that's all water under the bridge. Wait, is this the karate guy? The guy from the tournament? Oh, this is the guy whose ass she kicked. Uh, listen, it was a really close match, but if you want to get technical, I kicked his face. <laughs> I'm just busting your chops. It was an illegal kick. Oh, illegal? Really? Come on, what about that elbow to my knee? Yeah, I got a warning, you got the win. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No fighting in the showroom, guys. <laughs> yeah, come on. All right, back to work. All right, nice Let's meeting you. Get back to work. Enough reminiscing, right? So what brings you in? You're, you're looking for a new In life? the year 1984, American cinema audiences were blessed with a true treasure, a combination of action, adventure, a coming-of-age tale, drama, all wrapped up in a nice little bonsai headband. The film known as The Karate Kid told the story of Daniel LaRusso, a fish out of water from the East Coast in New Jersey, transplanted to the Sunshine State, California, and basically left to fend for himself against bullies, against rich snobs, and against everything else that stood in his way until he met Mr. Miyagi, probably the most 
iconic martial arts sensei of all time who transformed him not only into a karate champion, but into a man as well. And that man went on to star in two sequels, which is what we'll be talking about here today. Welcome to Second Chance Cinema. I am your host, MC. With me as always, my co-host, Spro. Spro, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited to get into this epic feat we're about to do. So we're also joined by a show regular, I used to think I knew Karate Kid, lore, and canon, and trivia, until I met this guy, and then I realized that I was just not in the same league. Jeremy, Jeremy, how are you? I am great, and I am so excited because, as you said, Karate Kid is one of those trilogies that I live and breathe, so I have been so excited to talk about these sequels, and I champion them to everyone that I know. Everyone I know who's never seen the first one, then I say, well, then you got to watch two and three because you're missing out. Are there really people who haven't seen the first one? You don't just walk away from those people? (laughs) I should. I should. But I try. I like to think that they're just lost and then I could help maybe guide them onto the right path. Is Karate Kid a trilogy or is it a quintology? Mm. What would you say? What do you define the Karate Kid as? Is it the story of Daniel LaRusso and Mr. Miyagi? In that case, it's a trilogy. Is it the story of Mr. Miyagi himself? Then, yeah, then it would be a quartet, I guess. That is true. So We'll get into it, but I think part two is definitely Mr. Miyagi's story unless Daniel LaRusso. You guys are illustrating one of the main tenets of Miyagi-Do Karate, which is walk left side of road, safe. Walk right side of road, safe. Walk middle of road, squish, like grape. Just like grape. Get the squish, just like grape. Here, karate, same thing. Either you karate do yes, or karate do no. You karate do guess so. Just like grape. Just like grape. So Karate Kid came out, massive hit, massive success, massive nostalgic following for years and years and years. That was 84, so that was, what, 36 years ago? Is that right? Yeah, summer Oh my gosh, 36 years ago. I was three when that came out, so I didn't even see that in the theater. I probably didn't see that till I was about nine or ten years old, and... I did martial arts for 11 years, and Ninja Turtles was the main reason why, but Karate Kid was one of those where it was like, whenever I walked into a lesson or got to know some of the kids better, it was like, you just realize how important that movie was. Not just to kids doing martial arts or even people doing martial arts, but just to like kids who felt again, like I said in the intro, like, you know, a fish out of water and they had everything working against them. This proved that you can surmount those obstacles and become, dare I say, quote, the best around. (laughs) So lesser known are the two sequels, Karate Kid 2, which came out in 1986 and Karate Kid 3, which came out in 1989. And the reason we've decided to do an episode dedicated to both of those movies, and once we get into the plots, we'll sort of explain how they're basically one giant sequel to The Karate Kid. We talked about this beforehand, and I think we came upon the consensus that they could almost be looked at as a part one and a part two of a direct sequel to The Karate Kid. Would you guys agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, all three movies flow right into the other. They all begin where the previous film ends. Right. And the chronology of The Karate Kid, like you said, the second one picks off exactly where the first one ended. You know, the the second one ends with them in Okinawa. And then at the beginning of the third movie, we have our intro with Kreese. But then we meet Daniel and and, uh, Miyagi getting off the plane from Okinawa. Right. And then, of course, one of the reasons why we're opting to do this movie right now, the popularity of what I think to be one of the best shows of at least the past five years, if not longer, Cobra Kai. And to celebrate, I'm actually drinking a Coors Banquet stubby right now. 
which is the beverage of choice for Johnny Lawrence throughout the whole series. I stopped and picked up a case after work before we got started here. (laughs) Cobra Kai, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, do yourself a favor and watch it. If you're listening to this and you haven't watched it because you haven't seen the original Karate Kid or the sequels, still do yourself a favor and watch it. Doesn't really matter which order, whether you watch the show first and then the movies or the movies then the show. If you're not interested in the Karate Kid at all, still watch it because it's a good show. Like, it's just genuinely a good show. Would you guys agree? 100%. I'll come forward and say, like, I don't think I've watched The Karate Kid. I can't say when the last time I watched Karate Kid 1 was. I can say Karate Kid Part 2 and 3 was last night. And even then I was like, man, I'm going to be completely out of my league with Jeremy and MC on this show. Because I know, MC, I knew that you were into martial arts. And Jeremy, I know you're an expert in almost all things. So I was completely feeling jitters. And then I put on Karate Kid Part 2. I remembered almost everything that happened in that movie. Like, I was like, oh, I know he's going to break that car window. And he's going to break that car window. He's going to be bloody. And then I was like, and then in the next one, he's going to say, make his fist bleed. Like, Mm -hmm. that's going to be the big thing because of that. Like, everything that I watched back in the day just resonated. And then I popped on Cobra Kai today to do my further research. And Cobra Kai does an excellent job of, one, doing what the movies did, which is kind of recapping at the beginning what you need to know for that movie going forward. The beginning of Cobra Kai does the exact same thing. And also, you don't necessarily need to watch a whole lot of sequels. I don't know. I'm only on episode three. But the first three episodes deal a whole lot with mainly Karate Kid Part 1. Right. The show doesn't get into much of two and three until the second season at least and even then some of the later episodes in the second season but because it's doing so successfully there's a third season coming and i think that the trailer and a lot of what we've heard about the third season hints a lot at more references to to two and three so before we move forward with our discussion we have a tradition here on second chance cinema where we salute the movies that we're speaking about with poetry i i always forget to mention this but whenever the three of us do a show we have three uh award winning writers on the show so our poetry needs to be like the best around really and the way we do this is we decide via the wheel of poetry which on it contains five different types of poetry that whichever one we land on we will have to create a masterpiece of verse to honor the Karate Kid 2 and 3. There are five types of poems. There are, uh, there's a limerick, a haiku, a standard ABAB rhyme scheme poem, a toast slash roast of the movies, and song parody. And while we do that, uh, Spur, I forget which trailer did we say we were going to play? I think we just said we were going to play the original, the OG. Okay, so we'll play the OG trailer, and I'm going to spin the wheel right now to see what type of poetry we land on. Okay, so we're going to go ahead. I'm going to spin the wheel right now. Okay, we landed on ABAB. So that means the first and the third lines have to rhyme, and the second and the fourth lines have to rhyme. So check out the trailer for The Karate Kid, and we will be back to blow your mind. Come on, this is it. This is the end of the line. Telling me. You know, I really think we're gonna do good here. I have a very positive feeling, I'm telling you, Daniel. This place is a dump. You should go back to New Jersey. 
did that happen? The truth. No, you don't want to hear the truth. All you want to hear is how great it is out here. Well, it may be great for you, but it sucks for me. Are you okay? Oh, just leave me alone. I hate this place. I hate it. I just want to go home. Karate. Yeah. Hey, you ever taught anyone? No. Who would you? I promise teach karate. You promise run. I say you do. No, oh, I haven't seen you around. Have you been looking? Sorta. Of. Sorta. Of. Wax on. Wax off. Don't forget to breathe. Very important. Ah, ah, son, act, act, son. Yeah, Come back tomorrow. If you don't come in my dojo and drop a challenge and leave, old man, you get your boy in the matter. You and I will have a major problem. Name a place. Turner. Is that understood? Yes, sensei. Yeah, they hate the fight. So karate's fighting, you train to fight. That hurt do you think? No. Then why train? So I won't have to fight. <laughs> I don't have much of a cheering section. You got me? I mean, every time I see those guys, they're gonna know they got the best of me. To win or lose, no matter. You prove a point. Points or no points, you're dead meat. What kind of belt do you have? <laughs> JCPenney 398. Wow, that was the trailer? That's definitely yeah, not the 80s trailer. That, that was, are we that sure that a, was the 80s trailer? Because that no was way. phenomenal. Yeah, that was definitely like a, a DVD trailer or something. He even had the stinger at the end and everything. But still, that was like, what? like, like that, that, wow. Like, I'm blown away. Like, my God, this sounds like this Ben-Hur epic. The sound in front of me, it says the Karate Kid trailer. Man, that was great. All right, well, good. That pumped me up for the episode. All right. All right, who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right, hit it. All right, so I got Daniel is the new kid in town, attracting the cute girl liked by the dick. Sweeping legs, Daniel gets down, but made his way with the crane kick. <laughs> I wish Johnny's name was the dick in the movie. <laughs> like, like, he, like, instead, like, who's that? Johnny Lawrence, who's that? Oh, that's the dick. He's terrible. <laughs> that would be awesome. All right. Uh, Jeremy, you want to go next? Yes. Okay. Go for it. All right. Daniel showed soccer moves to a hottie. That wasn't very prudent. Now he's got to learn karate or be made dead meat by Cobra Kai students. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Very nice. nice. And still relevant today. Okay. Here's mine. The move out west was rough. Daniel missed New Jersey. But he was revealed a teenager. Tough. Even though Ralph Macchio was 30. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's exact, but... Pretty close, I think, right? Wasn't Ralph Certainly Macho? by part three. He was right. 28. 28 in part three. Okay. All right. I overshot a little bit, but, you know, I, 
I take some dramatic license with my poetry. So if you don't like it, write our complete department. You know, so, Miyagi says, if it comes from within, it's always the right one. That's right. So that's right. Just, that's what All right. Remember. So the end of Karate Kid is the tournament. Daniel wins the tournament. Johnny loses. Sensei Kreese is disgraced because his dojo is now in ruins. And the beginning of Karate Kid 2, Jeremy, tell us where we pick off. Actually begins seconds later with Daniel in the uh, in the shower in the locker room post-match. And he's actually limping over to Miyagi, talking to him about his strategy for his tournament career. So he's still like riding the high of, of the win. So it's just moments after his uh, incredible victory. Then we have the famous encounter with Sensei Kreese and the Cobra Kai in the parking lot, where the Cobra Kai are sort of contrite and they kind of accepted their loss. I think they have a little respect for Daniel after uh, he went toe-to-toe against them. But Kreese isn't having it. He's uh, pissed off. He's slapping them around. He breaks Johnny's trophy and throws it and, you know. Such a dick move. Here's the thing about that. Like, that hit me so hard because when I competed in martial arts, winning those little plastic trophies was awesome. Like, in the early days, like, when you were first competing as a young kid and you walked home with one of those, like, you felt like the shit. So when I saw him break (laughs) Johnny's trophy, I was like, no! Like, it was like, it almost felt like John Wick's dog. Like, it was just terrible. It was just terrible. It just disgraced poor Johnny. Yeah, and I like his comeback. He throws the, break the trophy, throws the pieces around, and he goes, now who's the loser? That sucks. I did my best. What did you say? I said I did my best. You're nothing. You lost. You're a loser. No, you're the loser, man. Oh, I'm the loser, huh? Yeah. Now who's the loser? You know, you're really sick, man. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know. Do you really want to ask that question right now? Because you're, <laughs> you're picking on a bunch of kids, essentially children. Very explicitly under 18 karate <laughs> yes. There's nitpick number one right there that increases and just hauled directly to jail. I wonder, like, if the Cobra Kai was a sham to begin with, because why didn't they just beat up Crease? Like, why didn't one of them step in and, like, take out his knees or something like that? They were all just, like, yeah. deer in headlights. Deer they in were headlights. indoctrinated. Crease was the one to be feared at all costs you know and I think that that's what it was it was total indoctrination that despite the fact that they realized he was now a psycho they still couldn't break <laughs> their their training even Dutch who was who yeah. in Cobra Kai is revealed that he's in jail and in the movie he was basically a psychopath he even yeah. he was afraid to like bust out Johnny from the chokehold that was bullshit no definitely no one messed with Kreese so Miyagi has to save him and then we have the encounter between Miyagi and Kreese where Kreese goes to death Miyagi and puts his fist through a car windshield, which I remember seeing and was like, oh my god! Like, (laughs) not realizing sugar glass was a thing. He puts it through the windshield, his knuckles are all bloody, and then from there, he learns that Miyagi has to go back to Okinawa and he surprises Miyagi in the jetway. He's like, hey, I spent my tuition money to get a ticket! (laughs) (laughs) Well, because they were supposed to spend the summer together. It picks up six months later, it's prom, the day after prom night, Daniel just got dumped by Allie and then... Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So So he's like all set to have summer at Miyagi's place and everything's going to be okay. And then all of a sudden he's got to go to Okinawa. So can we back up a little bit to the first movie? Jeremy, this is something you and I talked about all the time. In the first movie, Daniel's mother moves them out to California because she has accepted a job in computers. This is 1984, okay? Mm. She very well could have been working at Microsoft. And she says halfway through the movie, oh, she becomes like the general manager of a Chinese restaurant. She's like, ah, the benefits of the salary. I could never make this in computers. (laughs) Yes, the Orient Express restaurant. (laughs) I mean, you can't fault them. It was 84 at the time, so who 
knows? But like right. looking back on that line, that's hilarious. Right. And now she's just bounced around. She's in Fresno. I love how they wrote Elizabeth Shue off. I mean, I don't know what the story is with her not coming back, but they just basically said like she left him for a college guy, right? <laughs> they just threw her under the bus right away. She's out. And then Daniel and Miyagi are off to Okinawa. So set the stage for us in Okinawa, Jeremy. Uh, so this is where it gets interesting because now we find out that Mr. Miyagi has a past, has some skeletons in his closet, and he's got his former best friend, Mr. Sato, who they both had designs on the same woman. And Miyagi was in love with her, but she was already sort of betrothed to Sato. So Miyagi said, no, not having that, and made a big speech in front of the whole village, said he loves her, and that's it. And so Sato challenged him to a duel. And in Okinawa, you know, karate uh, duels were to the death. It was not a tournament. So uh, Miyagi decided to say nope, and he bounced, left Okinawa, and hasn't been back since. And that's a good 40, maybe 50 years since he's been back. Let's see. So when he goes there, Sato is still around, and Sato is just like a dick, basically. Yeah, and he's like the king of that village because he owns everything. He's the dick. He is also aligned with Chosen. Right, his nephew. So Chosen is sort of the Johnny Lawrence of this movie. He's like, for some reason I was going to say he's like the Wesley Snipes of Okinawa, but I don't know, Wesley <laughs> Snipes not like a notable karate champion or something. He's the Johnny Lawrence of Okinawa. If he if he cheated on his taxes, maybe he'd be the Wesley Snipes of Okinawa. <laughs> but he's like the Johnny Lawrence of Okinawa, and he's got designs on the same girl that Daniel eventually meets, and of course falls in love with. So we Mm -hmm. sort of see a pattern here with Daniel's son. He always ends up pining for the woman that's going to get his ass beat. Although this son, the argument isn't over a woman. It starts because he's chosen keeps busting Daniel's balls about Miyagi being a coward, like everywhere he goes. That's like the the narrative that Sato has drilled into Chosen's head. So every time he sees him, he's like, hey, your teacher's a coward. But then he catches Chosen ripping off the people in town with the weights. You know, he's weighing the the people in town are bringing all their uh, vegetables to be weighed. And then he gives them money based on their weight. Oh, right. He's like running the backdoor money laundering thing for Mr. Sato. Yeah. 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 Sato's involved in some really shady stuff. And so Chosen's there with all of it, just got fistful of money and people are (laughs) handing over their vegetables or carrots and whatever. And then Daniel finds out that the weights are like, they're gimmicks somehow. And he breaks the weight. He's like, oh, look at this. You cheat all the people. And the people go nuts. So again, (laughs) again, this, this feeds into the narrative so much that Daniel is such an asshole. Like I get the knight in shining armor wanting to save the people and, and keep them from getting cheated. But it, it felt strangely like when he puts the hose in the bathroom on Johnny yes, Lawrence. I was going to bring that up. It's like Daniel doesn't know when to shut his mouth <laughs> and walk away. That's the problem. It's like, I know you want to get back at Johnny. I get it. Like, they, they pushed your bike down a hill. and <laughs> I get it. But it's been months because the fight on the beach happens the day before school starts. The hose incident is Halloween. So we're looking at least a month, maybe two months since there had really been a run-in with the Cobra guy. So he just can't let his shit go. And, like, even more so, his first run-in with Johnny Lawrence, like, he sort of had a heads-up that Johnny was bad news and, like, king dick of the school. But... He's in Japan, out of his element, and he goes and messes with this guy, who, are, for all he knows, could be Yakuza, and just, like, sticks 
sticks his nose where it doesn't belong again. Yeah. It's like, this guy's cheating the people of his village. Like, what do you think he's going to do when you expose that? He's really got this white savior complex, like Sandra Bullock in the blind side. Like, that's what I'm imagining. <laughs> I think he wants to, like, get one up on the people. Because, like, Chosen had already been a problem up until that point. Had been They hadn't had any physical encounters, but he had been, like, constantly nattering at him about his Miyagi being a coward. So I get that he wanted to, like, stick it to him. But it's like, maybe think it through a little bit. You said it perfect. Like, he can't leave well enough alone. Or doesn't Johnny say that? You couldn't leave well enough alone, could you? Yeah. You couldn't leave well enough alone. Could you, little twerp? No, you had to push it. Now you're going to pay. Spro, as you watch more of Cobra Kai, you're going to feel this narrative twist to where Johnny's the hero. By episode three, Danny is pissing off his wife by getting into his daughter's business. Like, he just can't Mm -hmm. keep his nose out of anything. So what happens then is Miyagi and Sato encounter each other. And eventually, it becomes less and less about Miyagi and Sato's beef and more and more about Daniel and Chosen, right? Mm -hmm. Right. One of the things we forgot to mention is probably one of the greatest cameos in film history. Star of such films as Jurassic Park, Executive Decision, Jurassic World... Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Jurassic World Tokyo Drift, all these movies he's been in. And I'm talking, of course, about Mr. B.D. Wong. Brad Wong. That's how he's credited it. Like with two Ds, Brad? Yeah, Brad with two Ds. That's kind of badass, actually. I didn't know that. That's sweet. Let's play the clip here. There's really nothing extraordinary about this clip other than the delivery and the enthusiasm with which B.D. Wong (laughs) invites Daniel and Kumiko to a party. Kumiko-chan, come to the dance tonight. Oh, good. Oh, bring your friend. Okay. Good. See you there. <laughs> He's so excited about the dance. He's just so... And Kumiko has a friend to bring. Come to the dance tonight. Oh, good. Oh, bring your friend. Okay. Good. See you there. And, and the thing is, he doesn't even give her a chance to answer. He's just like... Like, he's like that pushy salesman, like, come to the dance tonight. Okay, see you there. Okay, bye. You're coming. He is we- so excited. I, maybe he had a quota to fill. Like, is it, like listen, we're not going to, you know, r- have the dance unless we get 30 people to show up or something. Maybe and- it was his dance. Like, maybe he was, like, the student oh, council yeah. leader or something like that. And yeah. he needed, like you said, like, maybe he needed, like, enough people to show up so that he could raise funds for the dance or something right. like that. Or maybe they weren't into the theme. Like, he, look, we don't want to do a 50s theme, okay? It's not <laughs> happening. And he's like, no, I'm telling you, if we do. 50s? No, we want to do a night in Paris. No, no, no. 50s. That's where it's at. Back to the Future is happening. <laughs> Maybe. And then he just went like on his merry way. I want to see the spinoff of B.D. Wong's character's journey <laughs> to that moment. Yes. Spro, was his character named in the credits or was it just like Japanese? Boy on Street. Boy on Street. Okay, so I would camp out all night for tickets to Boy on Street, the movie. (laughs) So we get to the end of Karate Kid 2 and of course it's a showdown between Daniel and Chosen and it's a showdown in the same vein that we learned that Miyagi and Mr. Sato would have engaged in years and years and years before, a fight to the death. This has all been compounded Again, by the fact that Chosen is being disrespectful of Miyagi, there's Kumiko is in the mix now, and the whole village really is kind of like on the side of, they've been kind of oppressed by Chosen and Mr. Sato, so they're all there to watch it, and they're all there basically, it's like a gladiator fight, really. Yeah. Much more than the first one. It's a fight to the death, it's not like sanctioned, and it takes place on this weird like island in the middle of of the village. It's the castle, it used to be the castle of... uh 
the of some ancient king in that area, and that's where the All Bond Dance, which is like their big festival, happens every year. Okay, and, and that's uh, where they got those little drums, right? Yes. Okay. Right. And it was supposed to be held in the village, but then the village gets blown away in the hurricane. The hurricane is where Miyagi saves Sato's life, and that's how they repair their friendship. And then Chosen bails on helping Daniel, who Daniel has to climb a tower, a bell tower, to save a little girl. Oh, that's right. Oh, I forgot yeah. all about that. And Chosen yeah. pu- Chosen pusses out. And- Chosen's like, fuck that. I'm not doing this. And he <laughs> and splits. Then, that's right. And then Sato like disowns him for that, right? He's he yeah. from a coward and that's when he like yeah, he's exiled. so now chosen's just fueled by hate revenge yeah. shame in a short amount of time daniel larusso has literally ruined his life like it started <laughs> with his business his vegetable business and now it's ended with him just being a complete disgrace in the eyes of every single member of the village it really has happened like within the span of a week he's just like side hustling vegetables <laughs> in the market yeah. and now he's his life is completely ruined all thanks yeah. to this asshole from California. <laughs> okay, so you can probably guess how this ends. It's supposed to be a fight to the death. Daniel doesn't kill Chosen. Instead, he honks his nose. It's a callback to the beginning of the movie where Miyagi shows mercy and honks Kreese's nose instead of I guess killing him in the parking lot in front of all those yeah. kids. Like, I don't know I don't know that there was another option there than to just kind of let him go. I mean, I don't think he was really in public going to murder a man in front of all those karate oh. tournament witnesses. Then he, he honks his nose and that's that. So, yeah. in the beginning of Karate Kid Part 3, we start with John Kreese, who's been disgraced. His life has been left in shambles. He's down on his luck. Cobra Kai is no more. Jeremy, you talk about Terry Silver. You have feelings about Terry Silver, so you, you go ahead. I do. And I feel like there's, there were two Terry Silvers, and they put both of them in the movie. They should have left one out. But I'll, I'll back up a little bit to talk about, for me, the beginning of that movie, the opening scene of Kreese walking down the street is one of my favorite acting moments in the entire series because Martin Cove carries all the weight of his defeat in that scene. And I think it really shows, like, you feel his destitution and his loss and his shame. I mean, he looks like a bum. Really, is all in his body language of just a man who is totally broken. He goes into the dojo and the dojo is all boarded up and it's shut down and he's got all these messages about bills and past due and blah, blah, blah. And then Terry Silver reaches out to Crease. You know, it turns out that Terry Silver is the evil billionaire who owns Cobra Kai. He built Cobra Kai. He created it. So now he feels bad that his friend uh, has hit the skids. His whole mission now is, is to get revenge on Daniel and Mr. Miyagi for ruining his friend's business and, and the business, I guess, that he ultimately had a hand in creating. Well, now, wait a minute. So I thought, weren't Crease and Terry Silver in Nam together or something? And doesn't he say something like, for all the times you saved my life, this is the least I can do for you? Like, wasn't Yeah, there- yeah, they were in Vietnam together, yeah. <laughs> so there was yeah. a dynamic there. And then Terry Silver, you know, they went their different ways. Um, I'm imagining, you know, Forrest Gump and Bubba talking like, hey, what are you going to do after you get out? And Crease <laughs> is like, I'm going to open a karate dojo. And Terry Silver's like, I'm going to go become the head of Dynatox Industries, which sounds like an evil corporation, but yeah. trust me, we're going to be good. And it turns out he's like the most stereotypical billionaire villain. He, it sounds like he manufactures toxic waste. Like it's yes. not a byproduct of whatever he makes. Like right. he just makes toxic waste. They just make waste wastes. and then they bury it in like rainforest. This like just smarmy, slick talking, classic 80s villain. Yeah. Um, and then he hooks up with Crease and he says, 
says, Kreese says, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. And Terry Silver says, no, nah, you're going to Tahiti. And he sends him to Tahiti with money, drives him to the airport and like a Rolls Royce. And as Kreese <laughs> is going into the airport, Daniel and Miyagi walk out, which even as a kid, like I remember thinking like, oh, wow, that's awesome. He didn't know they were right there. I, I won't disagree that the, the plot of this movie is probably the least compelling of the three because it's sort of just like happens around the characters rather than like them moving things forward. But that said, you know, Daniel again is supposed to go to college. Nobody seems to understand that like, man, Daniel's not cut out for college. Like if it was today, Daniel would be aspiring to be like a SoundCloud rapper or something like that. Like it's just <laughs> So he proposes to Miyagi to start a bonsai tree store, which ultimately I feel is quite specific in terms of a niche marketing, like a garden center, maybe like a Home Depot outdoor plants type area. Sure. The thing that always struck me as weird is like, he's like, this is Mr. Miyagi's dream. And I was like, really? Like, I never got that sense that only a bonsai store was the dream of Mr. (laughs) Miyagi. We're going to call it Mr. Miyagi's little trees. (laughs) (laughs) He can't keep his nose out of other people's business. Like maybe Miyagi wanted to take a vacation. Like this kid came into Miyagi's life and turn his shit sideways like he's now Miyagi's got to fight gangs now Miyagi's got to go to Okinawa to fight his old rival maybe he's just like wants to be like Daniel-san let's let's take some me time okay let's you can see it in Miyagi's eyes when when Daniel says the name of it even Miyagi's just like Daniel you got to stop this shit man like like (laughs) like you've been hitting the head too many times like you got to take a breather man this is I admire yeah. your enthusiasm, but I mean, you're like a kid on a sugar high right now and, and you're going <laughs> to crash, but we digress. So Terry Silver has come up with this plan to sort of infatuate Daniel into learning martial arts that Miyagi won't teach him. Miyagi has said that martial arts aren't for competition, whereas Daniel wants to defend his title in the All-Valley Karate Tournament. And Miyagi says he's not going to train him because karate is not about winning trophies. This is why I think this movie is brilliant, because for the first time in this amazing relationship, we see a rift. And Terry Silver is the one who creates that rift. He's over the top and he's ridiculous and he's not the greatest, I don't want to say not the greatest actor, but his character is not given the best service, but he broke up that unbreakable partnership for a good portion of the movie. Totally. That's where I get to my theory of two Terry Silvers is that like you have this crazy, insane Bond villain in the first half of the movie that is just out of control. He's like, I like it, Johnny. (laughs) I'll make his knuckles bleed. Hey. Hey, I like that. Oh, I like that, Johnny. I'm going to use that. <laughs> it's insane. And then in the second half of the movie, when he dons his, like, humble poor man disguise and starts svengaling Daniel into turning over to the dark side, he gets really interesting. And he starts talking, like, dropping knowledge on Daniel. He's like, what do you think? The crane technique's going to work? What do you think? You, you, you got to go up against Mike Barnes. You got you to gotta step up your game. And you're like, yeah, he has a point. Like, wax on, wax off. It's not going to cut it. And Daniel buys into it, and he's able to drive that wedge, and it becomes super interesting watching the dichotomy of Daniel's struggling between these two polar opposite masters, both of whom have points. The middle of a trilogy is usually the darker chapter, but this is like the dark episode of the of the Karate Kid saga. 
So the fourth movie has Hillary Swank, and the fifth movie is the Will Smith kid? That's right. But the fifth movie is a remake of the first movie. Oh, that's not even like a, a thing? No, it's not even. It's, it is not in canon with the other Karate okay. Kid. So it, it's a straight up remake, and it's not even karate, it's kung fu. I don't even. It, the whole movie just annoyed me. I have a lot of karate questions. All karate is martial arts, but not all martial arts is karate. You mentioned Mike Barnes, and Mike Barnes is, for those who haven't seen the movie, he's legitimately psychotic. He's got a reputation now as karate's bad boy, which sounds a lot cooler than, actually, no, it sounds less cool than what it probably (laughs) should be. He's like on the cover of all these magazines, and he's like the most feared competitor in the world. Terry Silver basically hires him to kind of put a hit on Daniel. And one of the great scenes in the movie is when Terry Silver, I'm pretty sure, is in the bathtub (laughs) when Mike Barnes comes to meet him. But also right next to his old lady stenographer uh, secretary, who's just sitting there like, watching him take a bath and then she's taking notes, which whatever. Mike Barnes is like, he lays down his terms. He's like, I want 50% in all your dojos. And he really does this like really contrived like Gordon Gecko thing to Terry Silver. And eventually Terry Silver's like, I like your attitude. You you fight as hard as you negotiate. We got a deal. And it's just really like over the top and silly. The best part about that scene is when he introduces Mike Barnes's new like assistant or like consigliere or whatever. And he, he goes, his name is snake the dojo is cobra kai like we get it there's a snake like snakes are a big motif in this movie you couldn't come up with something better than snake his name is snake i get the feeling they're like just call him snake right now and then we'll put something else in post (laughs) another name in there and then they just forgot mike barnes is working for terry silver but on the outside mike barnes is pitted against Daniel, who turns to Terry Silver, and Terry Silver begins training Daniel to fight Mike Barnes. So that's like, I mean, that's like a legit kind of double-cross scenario that they set up there, which, again, the acting and the the dialogue might not be great, but that's a really way more interesting than just high school bullies pick on the new kid or you have mm-hmm. dishonored my family and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's a really, like, complex relationship there. I, I have a question for Jeremy. Reading the reviews, the critics and even the director said, well, it's just a rehashing of the first movie. How is part three a rehash of part one? I The only way to me that it's a rehash is that it culminates in a tournament at the end. Otherwise, I feel like plot-wise, they're pretty different because really the, it's the story of Daniel and Miyagi's rift and the story of Daniel coming to terms with the, with maybe his own demons and the dark side of his nature because Terry Silver turns him kind of into a Cobra guy to the point that he punches out that dude at the nightclub. That was awesome. Yeah. That poor schlub at the... Terry Silver's like, hey, go hit on that girl. Yeah. And he just sits back and watches. He's all but giggling to himself. He's like... And then the guy goes, what about my money? And he just tosses him out. That guy was the biggest stooge in all three of the Karate Kid <laughs> movies. And you know what, though, yeah. serves him right. If this big, like, 40-year-old guy with a ponytail comes up to you at the club and says, hey, go hit on that girl, I'll pay you. That's I mean, that's, that's bad news. And so then, of course, Daniel punches him and sort of realizes that he's kind of become the one thing he used to despise, which is an aggressive karate bully, really. And he goes back to the Cobra Kai dojo where Terry Silver's been training him. And then we get this next clip where it's revealed that this has all been a ruse. You know, like Daniel comes in and he says, hey, Mr. Silver, I don't think I can train with you anymore. 
Terry Silver's like, well, you still owe me, Dan. You owe me a lot. And Daniel's like, oh, I thought the lessons were free. That's like Mr. Miyagi's little trees, Daniel, talking there. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I didn't know I had to pay you. Uh, and then it turns to this thing where Crease pops out of the background from behind, I think, a cardboard cutout of himself. Which <laughs> because, and you know, it's awesome. Earlier in the movie, they say Crease died. So it's like, if you think about that, Terry Silver didn't memorialize his best friend by like a framed picture on his desk. He got a fucking cardboard cutout of John Crease to put yeah. in the dojo. Like, just hear me now. If I die before you guys, that's what I want. I want cardboard cutouts of me in your houses. Yes. So Crease pops okay. out. It's a big ambush. Mike Barnes is there and it's the big reveal. Terry Silver's been working with Mike Barnes all along. Daniel's going to get his ass kicked in the dojo. He fights and then he tries to run away and Crease and Terry Silver are like, no, go bring him back. And then Mike Barnes runs out to get him and then Mike Barnes gets thrown through the door with just some brilliant stunt work, gets thrown through the door and then Mr. Miyagi comes to save the day and we get this scene where Mr. Miyagi goes to fight both Crease and Terry Silver at the same time. <laughs> you see his face? <laughs> see the trail? I think he peed in his pants. <laughs> 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 Was that the Wilhelm scream? <laughs> Maybe. Well, well, well. Look who's here. The big war hero. <laughs> what are you waiting for? <laughs> Party time. I love that line. Party time. Like they do this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Here it is. Come on, little man. Let's see how good you really are. So good. Like, that's That's, just, that's the most ridiculous scene in all the movies. It's so crazy. And that's the only time you ever see Miyagi really kind of taking any pleasure in beating up someone. Right. Usually he takes a much more zen approach and like, this is just what had to be done or whatever. But this time he was like, I really enjoyed that. And he's going to rub it in his face. The the noises Terry Silver makes, it's the same thing. I can't tell if Terry Silver's doing that to be ironic or if he's like genuinely being racist or if it's like... (laughs) If it's on a level that I just don't comprehend, because or if he's serious, like if that's how he was trained, there's so many levels to that just cawing that he does in Miyagi's face. Yeah. And first thing tomorrow, I'm going to make that my ringtone. So <laughs> long story short, that's when Daniel shows Miyagi the trouble he's gotten into and asks him to train him. And Miyagi says, fine, I'll train you now. And it's basically like, fine, I'll train you now, you big idiot. Look what you've gotten us into again. Yep. <laughs> this is where, to me, I feel like second to Johnny, Mike Barr, is the best villain in the Karate Kid movies and I think it was so much more they could have done because he has no reason to break that tree. He's gotten everything he wants. He's signed the application. He's ready to go. He has no reason. He just does that just because he's insane. What I was thinking is, you know how when Kreese and Terry Silver bow each other, bow to each other and say it's party time, what if that tied into B.D. Wong's party somehow? Like, what if there was a flashback of them and B.D. Wong was trying to, like, you know, recruit people for the party the prior year? And maybe since they were over on that side of the world, they went to this awesome B.D. Wong party and that 
played into the, the oh prequel. I blew your mind the way Miyagi's mind was blown when Daniel decided to call the store Mr. Miyagi's Little Trees. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Daniel proved himself to be an adept businessman in Cobra Kai, but the seeds of that are not seen in Karate Kid 3. That's a good point. Somewhere in the intervening 30 years, he learned a lot more about business. That's a good point. They don't show much of his resume in Cobra Kai, which would include the business that was open for all of two months, Mr. Miyagi's <laughs> Little Trees, which he squandered a small fortune to, to open and then just basically torpedo into the ground. So we get to the end of Karate Kid 3 and it's the tournament again. It's the All-Valley Tournament. And of course, it comes down to Mike Barnes and Daniel LaRusso in the finals. At this point, there's another interesting dynamic because Terry Silver has endeared himself to the All-Valley crowd in a way that the Cobra Kai are heels before this, but he's basically psyched up the crowd to the point where they're all clamoring for Cobra Kai t-shirts. They're all like cheering on Mike Barnes. I mean, it's very reminiscent of the first movie, but even almost more like icky because Terry Silver... None of these people know what Terry Silver is. They just know him as this almost like this politician who's come out and sung the praises of Cobra Kai, and he's got them all on board. And Daniel's the returning champion, and at, at all coming off of a huge, unprecedented win the, just the year before. So you think people would be into seeing Daniel, but no, like Terry Silver's got everybody in Cobra Kai's pocket. They're all Team Cobra Kai, and they're just waiting to see Daniel get fed to Mike Barnes. So it's pretty brilliant on Terry Silver's part, yet again. So it comes down to Mike Barnes and Daniel LaRusso. Once again, Miyagi's in Daniel's corner. The evil Cobra Kai are cheering on Mike Barnes. And we get, of course, this is the kind of part of the movie that was like, like it was very, very predictable. It was basically the same thing that happened in the first one. Daniel's down. He's hurt. He's afraid. Miyagi, he doesn't smack him around, but he like emotionally smacks him around. He's like, you can't be afraid of that boy. And Daniel, instead of going to the, the crane kick, he starts doing a kata in the middle of the fight, which was actually kind of cool when people are yelling, he's hallucinating. <laughs> like, <laughs> what part of hallucinating causes you to do martial arts? But also, isn't this a karate tournament? Wouldn't people know what it is? <laughs> I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. Like, And eventually Mike Barnes makes a misstep. Daniel catches him and wins the tournament again. The ending was a bit of a fizzle for me. It was just kind of like anticlimactic and a little bit predictable, especially given all the stuff that was going on up until then. Like, what would happen? if Daniel lost like would it have been a you tried your hardest and and these guys fought dirty and you can't always win that would have been more interesting but instead they went with kind of the saccharine Hollywood ending which was fine for me the bummer is like the Karate Kid 1 you have crane kick obviously iconic legendary Karate Kid 2 you've got the drum technique which you know somebody who maybe knows more about the internet workings of martial arts can pick that one apart but it certainly looks impactful and it's very cool because everyone in the audience has got their you know Agido drums and they're all showing Daniel the technique and he's responding to it. So it's a very cinematic moment. It's you know maybe not as exciting as the crank kick, but it still works. And the kata to me just it feels like eh, it, it's not very impactful. Like Mike Barnes is just confused about like what's this dance he's doing? I don't understand. I don't know how to move because he's moving in a weird way. It's like in From Dust Till Dawn when Selma Hayek dances and then turns into a vampire and, and bites, yes. bites Tarantino on the neck. Like that's basically exactly. what he did. He he put Mike Barnes in a trance with his karate dancing and then yeah. And then like, it would have been cool if he'd done like Bruce Lee move like water or something like that. <laughs> One of my favorite parts from the ending though was when somebody throws a coke. Cobra Kai t-shirt on the Cobra <laughs> yeah. Kai guys 
and then they pick so it up, good. throw it back, and then Crease like winds his hand back like he's gonna beat up the fans. I mean, I, I suppose we should close with a nod to Cobra Kai because everything picks off right where that left off. And of course, it centers around Johnny. But spoiler alert, Crease shows up. Spoiler alert, there are allusions to Chosen showing up. I would not be surprised or disappointed if Terry Silver shows up at some point. Elizabeth Shue. Like Mike Barnes to show up. Mike Barnes. Elizabeth Shue has been hinted at. I will tell you this. I would not even be mad, even though I don't acknowledge its existence, if Hillary Swank showed up in some form or another. As, hey, as, she's on that other Netflix show now, Away, which is uh, doing really well. So That's how good yeah. Cobra Kai has taken care of the Karate Kid legacy. Even the stuff that's not completely revered by audiences in a universal way. The people who have made Cobra Kai, which you know apparently has a lot of involvement from Machio and William Zabka, they've taken care of this legacy, and that's why it's so good, in my yep. opinion. And to me, you know, I know other people have made this analogy. You know, I'm a big Star Wars fan, and this is where the Star Wars people drop the ball, and where Cobra Kai has taken it and run with it for multiple touchdowns because. They've respected the legacy. Star Wars was like, you don't like those old characters. No, you like the new characters, right? The old characters suck. And they just kept making them more and more into the background and more and more denigrated. And whereas Cobra Kai found this great way of keeping the focus on the original characters, but also creating new characters who wove into their stories perfectly so that everybody is interesting. I think of all the sequels, reboots that we're seeing, Cobra Kai is the one that's doing it right. And that's why it's it found an audience on YouTube. And now it's it's having its second renaissance on Netflix. And I think it's going to have a third one when the new season debuts. Spro, you're probably the least familiar with these movies and Cobra Kai. Like, how do you feel after watching them after so long? Well, like I said, like everything kind of clicked. Like I realized how much like I knew as soon as they got into the castle of part two, like I was like, that bridge goes in the water and the lanterns and they all get knocked around and then the little drum's going to come out. Like, I don't know how much I saw it as a kid, but I had to see it a lot because I could pretty much dictate what was going to come up next. And then Cobra Kai, I absolutely agree. That show just is so well done and well thought out with every decision that they're making to make fans of Karate Kid like it. And people that probably have only seen the first one are really going to like it. But Mm -hmm. every movie, I think, Ralph Macchio, it's surprising to see what his career became because Ralph Macchio, I think, did a phenomenal job with Daniel LaRusso, especially as 28 years old playing 18 and taking it for what it is. That's a good point. I mean, I think this it's kind of like, it, I feel like for a long time, it, it wasn't hard to goof on Ralph Macchio for whatever reason. He was 30 and he was playing an 18 year old. He, what happened to him after Karate Kid, just my cousin Vinny and stuff like that. But like you watch these movies again and you realize there was nobody they could have picked better for that role. Or he was in The Outsiders right. too. There was nobody, nobody better that they could have picked for that role. And moving forward 30 some years later into Cobra Kai, like he's a grown man now. He's got kids. He's basically taking on the role of Mr. Miyagi, and it's still perfect. I want you to talk on one thing, though. Like, how well do they do karate in these movies? Like, how how true to form is it? I mean, I'm not 
I'm certainly not a karate expert. I did Taekwondo for 11 years. I'm a second degree black belt. And I mean, all the stuff changes from school to school and style to style. Like there are definitely schools that are very much like Cobra Kai, or at least there were when I was growing up and doing it, you know, where really? they were just, yeah, I mean, not that psychotic, but just like all about winning, all about, you know, they wouldn't go so far to say like no mercy, but like, you know, winning at all costs and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> the one thing that made me laugh about Cobra Kai was when Daniel goes to the rival car dealership. The rival car dealer guy has like a bubble tea or something. And Daniel does a spinning crescent kick to knock it out of his hand. And it is the worst kick I think I've ever seen on screen. His <laughs> knees bend, his foot's pointing up, his arms are all over the place. His hips aren't spun correctly. And it was like, yeah, I get it. He's in a business suit and it's not, you know, this isn't like a martial arts show anymore. This is like a drama. But that part made me laugh. But, but I thought that watching that movie as a kid inspired me to want to do like the best martial arts I could. I'll say that. But like these tournaments, how they are perceived in these films like you go you, you hit somebody absolutely completely 100% false they are absolutely not that clean cut and not that dramatic and precise usually there are like five fights going on at a time in different rings almost all the points end in kind of a scrum where like you'll make contact with somebody you'll go back to your corner and the judges who saw it will hold up the flag for whatever point they want to decide but it's never as like clean as like oh i flipped him over then punched him in the face then we broke it's not at least in my experience it hasn't been so that said that was sort of the that was kind of like the blueprint for what we all kind of aspired to be if tournaments like that existed it would have been just like paradise growing up doing martial arts but sadly i think they took quite a bit of dramatic license just like we do with our poetry they do with their karate you know, Karate Kid 3 gets a very bad reputation, and some some of it is deserved, although I will say I think that it is way, way, way better than anyone thinks that it is. And I think that the especially the character dynamic of Terry Silver, Kreese, Miyagi, Daniel, all playing off of each other is some really, really interesting, tense, dramatic stuff. All that said, for those of you who don't like Karate Kid 3, I was doing some research for this podcast and came across John Alvinson's original pitch for the Karate Kid 3, which I could not believe was real, and I had to share it with you. For all of you who don't like the Karate Kid 3, this is what you almost got. He wanted to do a story where Daniel and Miyagi travel in time <laughs> back to the 1600s and meet Mr. <laughs> Miyagi's ancestor, played by Pat Morita, <laughs> who teaches them the early forms of Miyagi karate, and it's done in a crouching tiger, hidden dragon, early kung fu style, where they're like flying up and, and bouncing on tree limbs and doing all this crazy, you know, 70s style wire kung fu. That was his original plan. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe how much I don't want to see, but also do want to see that movie. What would be the mechanism that sent them back in time? Like, what would That's be, what, like, would it be a magic bonsai tree? Or like, They would get the dream? train engine from Back to the Future Part 3. They would just, <laughs> yeah. they would hop on the train. Would it be, no, thinking, see, would it be a crossover? Like, would Michael J. Fox show up in the Karate Kid universe? Oh, that, my God. Love. Now, see, that, that, would that, be, that would be awesome. That I could get on board with. <laughs> Maybe, like, Johnny and Biff's ancestors, like, show up. Oh, and, no. Like, see, now that's that's something to think about. Like, Mad Dog oh, Tannen. 
Mad Dog Cannon and Mad Dog Lawrence are like in the saloon and. Like, well, just imagine the Okinawa 1600s version of Biff, because like there's always a version of Biff. Oh right, every, yeah, yeah. So like whatever that would be, the karate version of Biff, that would be fantastic. Yeah. And of course, Daniel Larusso would piss off Biff for of Michael course. J. Fox. You know, <laughs> like, yes, like maybe in the uh, in the 1600s, the McFlies and the Tannins are like friends and then daniel comes in and just fucks everything up and that's where it all begins wow so we've gone from a really heartfelt sentimental appreciation of the karate kid at the beginning of this episode to talking about the time travel crossover between back to the future <laughs> daniel larusso and mr miyagi larusso hello anybody home larusso <laughs> like why don't you make like a bonsai tree and get out of here <laughs> like <laughs> Like this, this needs to happen. Some listener who's into fan fiction, hit us up and let us know how you can make this happen. Because man, what a great crossover that would be. Well, that's the only way the time travel crossover could have worked. I mean, Terry Silver was rich enough. Maybe he could have bought a DeLorean. Maybe so, he could. Yeah. Have, maybe he could have bought off Doc Brown. The the plutonium came from Dynatox <laughs> Industries. Maybe it did. He <laughs> installed the, the the plutonium from Dynatox Industries. Oh my God, and- this is brilliant. This just needs to be our next podcast, like just talking about this idea for nine episodes. Because they're all in the San Fernando Valley, so it's all to be connected. (laughs) Sure is. And Miyagi had all those old cars. Who better to fix them up than Biff's auto detailing? Oh, exactly. You know? He's like, just finished putting the second coat on now, Mr. Miyagi. And Miyagi's like, did you do wax on, wax off? (laughs) Oh, my God. This is so good. This might be my favorite thing that's happened today all right well this has been a very very interesting and a very fun episode and a very groundbreaking episode because it's the first time that we mashed two movies together into one podcast and i have to say that i don't want to pat ourselves on the back but i feel like we did a black belt job of this episode if you're not too busy shopping at mr miyagi's little trees we invite you to check (laughs) us out on social media follow along recommend our show to anyone you think might enjoy this nonsense and stay tuned for (laughs) whatever rabbit hole we will fall down next on second chance cinema sayonara ciao Karate Kid 1 was produced by Delphi 2 and Jerry Wintrip Productions. Part 2 was produced by Delphi 5 Productions, and Part 3 was produced by Columbia Pictures. All three were distributed by Columbia Pictures. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the trilogy and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is The Glory of Love by Peter Cetera. This song won an Academy Award. Honestly, Karate Kid Part 2 is an Academy Award winner. Bet you didn't know that. Cobra Kai can currently be streamed on Netflix, and it's fantastic. Thank you for listening to this episode episode of Second Chance Cinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us, leave a review wherever you listen, and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to, as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on, and have a beautiful day, you wonderful person, you. And if a Daniel LaRusso moves into your neighborhood, hide your business, or else he's gonna put his nose all up in it. Enjoy your day. Take it to my car
in an unprecedented event for Second Chance Cinema, we realized that as we were uploading our tracks and going off the air, we neglected to gloss over probably the most important linchpin of the Karate Kid Back to the Future crossover, which was, of course, Elizabeth Shue, who has appeared both universes, essentially the, the lightning rod uh, around which this crossover could take place. Now, we don't have a lot of time here. Spro, Jeremy, do you care to weigh in on this theory? It's like the cliche of like all the, of, of like what you see in every movie. Now, she's the key to everything. You know, she has been all along. Elizabeth Shue is the connective tissue that binds the Karate Kid universe and the Back to the Future universe together. She's like Lilu from The Fifth Element. She's yes. like she's like the being that sit, that binds the universe. So maybe what happened was instead of by the time Karate Kid 2 came out and she was allegedly went with a college guy and snubbed Daniel, maybe she moved closer to Hill Valley and met this guy named Marty McFly who was friends for some reason with this crazy scientist and eventually Elizabeth Shue's character traveled forward into the future where her presence in the Karate Kid universe somehow warped time around both universes and integrated them to where now there's a future LaRusso family, there's a future McFly family, there's a future Johnny Lawrence family, there's future Biff all of this stuff it's like it's too mind-bending to comprehend we'll consider this like a dvd extra of second chance cinema but we we realized that elizabeth shoe is the key to this crossover and it needs to happen because she appears in both universes and with all the characters that we've just fleshed out the evil billionaire the historic lineage of the miyagi family like this is like basically like hello bank yeah we're here for the money yeah, so that's it. We're gonna we're gonna respectfully bow out now. We've taken enough of your time, but now that your wheels are turning for the possibilities of a um, Karate Kid Back to the Future crossover, just flood us with ideas and and possibilities and theories because that's all I'm gonna be dreaming about tonight. I'm in the future. Mom, is that you? I gotta get out of here.